evening and welcome to The Wife Who, the podcast where we talk about pretty amazing women, I like to think. I'm Caroline. I'm Louise. And we are working remotely like everyone else in the country. Um, we've recorded a few episodes in lockdown now. How are you getting on at the minute, Lou? You okay with lockdown? I think, I think same old, same old, same as last week. Nothing's really changed, has it? Uh, we should probably say that it is Easter weekend. Oh, yeah. It's right right at the end of the Easter weekend, isn't it? Easter Monday. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, loads of memes going around about how um, Jesus isn't coming out of his cave for Easter because we're in lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> Stay at home. Which the, is amusing. The police, <laughs> the police are monitoring him and making sure he doesn't leave his cave. <laughs> he can't right, rise yeah. from the dead. Uh, so, yeah, we are pretty much, it's almost business as usual lockdown crack at the minute. So I reckon we should kind of just get straight into the episode. What do you reckon? Yeah, let's dive in. Okay, great. So actually, before we start, there is one thing that I want, I want to start by talking to you about. My friend Greg today sent me a message uh, with a, pre, a piece of trivia and he made me guess what was illegal in France until 2013 and it relates to women and it didn't affect men. Can you guess at all what this could possibly be? 2013. Mm -hmm. So seven years ago, the law changed mm -hmm. on it. Yep. So that's really recent. Uh, yep. No, I, I can't guess. I couldn't either. I was like, it can't be the things that I'm thinking about. It was in 2013, they repealed the law where women weren't allowed to wear trousers by law. What? Yes. I did not know this. <laughs> Wait, had this been illegal in France for women yeah. until 2013? Mm -hmm. But were they were they doing it anyway? It's just oh, yeah. that oh, yeah. mm -hmm. someone could have, if they'd wanted to, yeah. uh, actually brought a case to court against a woman for wearing trousers. Yeah, I mean, obviously everyone was just like happily ignoring it. They were fine with it, but it was technically illegal until then. So there you go. Fact of the day. In fact, maybe we should make it a, a trend to have like a women's fact of the episode or something like that. People write in if you have any suggestions for Please interesting facts. tell us. I would love that actually. Yeah, let's do that. Let's make that a thing if we can. <laughs> anyway, that's not what today's episode is about. Um, but thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. We love that. And I would love to hear more of those sorts of things. So... Today, we are going way further back in history than that. And we are going into the land of ancient Egypt. Mm. So the time of Tutan Tutankhamun kind of times? Yeah. So um, this is a woman, Pharaoh. So this is um, the second woman that we have a record of being a Pharaoh. So she wasn't the first one, but this is uh, Hatshepsut, and I have to be careful because it's so hard to pronounce that correctly, Hatshepsut, the wife who was one of Egypt's most powerful and successful pharaohs of all time. Of all time? Yeah, have you wow. heard of her? Uh, I think I've glimpsed her in a in a book. I think, actually, she might have even been in the Badass Broads book. Oh, um, excellent. And yet, I don't know why I skimmed over it, because obviously you found enough to do a whole podcast on her. Yeah. Well, yeah, and actually, I, I've had a few sources for this, and 
So it seems like she is actually pretty well known. If, you, if you're even a bit interested in Egyptology, which, you know, I, I suppose I am a little bit, but not enough to really have done proper, you know, reading up on it at all. But if you do pretty much any, you will come across her because she was seemingly the most prolific in terms of building projects and statues and obelisks and stuff so we actually have quite a lot of information about her these days and yet I do feel like it's a name that isn't that common when you think about queens of Egypt you think of um, Cleopatra Cleopatra of course Mm. yeah and maybe Nefertiti as well a little bit but I didn't I didn't know the name Hatshepsut at all so I thought we would look at her Hatshepsut suit it is so hard to pronounce her name. like no it's not that it's hard to pronounce it's just that it's hard to remember the syllables in the right order i might just call her queen h or I was Hattie gonna say, or something oh queen <laughs> queen hap queen happy queen hat call her queen hat yeah okay queen hat so <laughs> so she was around in the in what we call the 18th dynasty and this 18th dynasty was as i say really powerful and Uh, successful and this was 1550 to 1295 bc okay this was a long time ago and i mean we were you know we out over here in the western land we we had absolutely no idea what was going on we were just tadpoles really at this point (laughs) and uh it's thought that she was born around 1500 bc C. Um, Some people say 1507. It seems like there's a bit of a question mark on exactly, but that's fair enough, don't you think? So I first heard of her actually in Jenny, Dame Jenny Murray. Jenny, if you're listening. (laughs) We love you, Dame Jenny. (laughs) We do. Um, In her History of the World in 21 Women, which is a great book. I can't recommend it enough. Um, And I think she's actually the first woman in the entire book. And I was like, oh, you know, it's quite a short chapter on her. Um, And actually, uh, Jenny Murray has this amazing story about how she actually went to Cairo in the 80s when she was asked to go over and explore gender issues in Egypt in the 80s. I think they were having quite a lot of anti-female issues over there at the time, including things like FGM and stuff. Um, Okay. So they were quite far behind the Western world at that point. And there is actually a really amusing anecdote about uh, her friend and colleague drinking the local tea and the results of doing so. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. (laughs) So, but it wasn't a very long chapter and I kind of, I don't know, I moved on past it. This is a few months ago. Um, But then when I was doing my um, big coronavirus shop at the big supermarket last week, um, I, you have to snake through the aisles and you have to go down every single one of the aisles up the right and down the left and you go where you are told and there is no going back. This was your two hour trip to Tesco, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was two, two hour trip. It was the worst. Um, but because I had to go down every, I I was sort of forced to linger in the magazine aisle. So I was like, I was looking around and the National Geographic publication caught my eye and it had a picture of Nefertiti on the front of it and the Mm. headline on the front of it was Queens of Egypt when women ruled the world and I was like yeah I I gotta do this this week so (laughs) did you buy did you buy the uh the yeah. National Geographic, well yeah, done. Yeah, I did. And yeah, that most of uh, the info that I'm going to tell you tonight comes from that. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit of Wikipedia and a little tiny bit of uh, Dame Jenny. 
So forget the food. That was actually a very successful trip to Tesco's. I reckon, yeah. Uh, this particular edition, it's um, it's not a numbered issue. It's like a special publication that they've done, like a one-off of it. So um, for anyone that wants to look it up, I don't know the number, but we are in early April 2020. So you could probably look it up in the back catalogue if you're listening mm-hmm. in 2050. Okay, <laughs> so... So this is, as I say, this is when Egypt is pretty powerful and successful. Um, And she was also really successful. Now, it seems like some historians interpret her coming to the throne as a sort of ambitious and quite immoral, I think, uh, power grab you see these words power grab um and when when uh, i was telling chris about this he said oh that's just the patriarchy and i was like yes chris um but i'm not sure that that's necessarily all that there is so you can decide later whether she was immoral and she was power grabbing or whether she was just kind of a badass babe i don't know you see if if a man tries to maneuver himself into a position of power is he ever called uh, immoral and is he power grabbing or is he just assertive? And is he just kind of assuming his rightful role? Yeah, I, I would generally agree with you, but I do feel like there are definitely some historical male characters who were ruthless in their attempt to take kingships <laughs> and stuff. So yeah, let's not rule it out. So um, as I said earlier, she wasn't the only one. So there had been one, possibly two before her. It's not clear. And there's a bit of debate about that. Um, but in Egypt, they were quite happy to do this thing of... Um, uh, calling on women to take charge as a queen regent sort of position. So you had a young child or someone else that really is in charge, but the woman's taking power for a bit until they're old enough. So a little bit like uh, Cersei almost being yeah. queen for her son, right? In Game of Thrones. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. And this, But this was only really allowed during periods of mm, things aren't brilliant and we just need a bit of stability we don't want a man in charge who's gonna like rage war so it was a bit of a sort of pacifist move to put a woman in charge and as i say i think there'd only been one before there were a couple after her but she was domineering so i'll come into this so she is from thebes which um is I think modern luxor in egypt which was the capital long before cairo was uh-huh. Um, and so she's in this period where they're doing really well. Egypt are basically the, the power players. They're the top dog at this point in worldwide civilization, really. So they're trading quite far, which is really impressive at this. You know, we're talking about, what did I say, 2000 BC, and they are trading amber with Scandinavia and tin with those ancient Britons and spices in India. So they're, you know, that's pretty good. Yeah. But the royal family was, well, as ours is now, it's, it, it's a male heir system. So male lineage, you know how it goes. Of course. Yeah, of course. But in order to make um, the lineage more secure, sisters and brothers would marry. Oh. Yeah, so it's all quite incestuous. And her dad... Quite. Who, very yeah it's extremely let's face it it's extremely incestuous it's all again it's, game of thrones I was, it's almost up there with twincest <laughs> yes mm. twincest by the way is 
what a great word <laughs> let's just take a second to appreciate that word oh dear right i'm just having a sip of wine wasn't it mm. okay so her dad thutmos the first possibly thutmose i'm not quite sure i'm gonna call him thutmose the first so he got in only because the previous family line was so incestuous that they hit sterility, basically. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. But he's oh. like a, I don't know, he's some kind of uncle or something. And he's like a successful military general or something. So he gets in and his daughter Hatshepsut, she was the eldest daughter and she came from the number one wife because of course they were polygamous too but she was from the favorite the primary wife and because she's the eldest daughter and she's from the best wife she gets to become high priestess and this is actually genuinely quite an important position and this she's known as god's wife of amun and this is it's politically quite um, influential. She's got all these priests that listen to her and she has to do these sort of weird, I don't know, a bit sexual, secret, sacred ritual, ritual. So it says in this article that she had to help the god Amun remake himself sexually every morning. I don't know what that involved. So she had to have sex with, uh, with a god? Someone. Well, Yes. And I, there wasn't any details in the stuff that I read about this. I'm kind of morbidly curious about what this involved because seemingly the pharaohs of the time were considered to be deities. Certainly when they died, they became deities. They became gods and were revered as gods. But I mean, the kings were seen to be a sort of physical embodiment of the, the god moon and it makes you wonder was she having to sleep with her dad i don't know guys write in if you know anything oh, about this yeah if anyone can inf- if we have any uh professors of egyptology please tell us about this yeah it's um it's weird and there is a, a word for literally marrying a god um which i think is hierogamy or hierogamy Mm, it's one or the other and this is genuinely something that they consider to be a thing in their culture that you marry gods that you have sex with gods i don't know it's interesting but i think that's a little bit in greek mythology as well isn't it oh yeah probably actually i hadn't really thought about that but that would make sense we might be showing our ignorance there oh probably we do it commonly let's face it So in this job, she is getting quite a lot of influence and power. She's actually educated. She understands politics. She's got a lot of money because this is a rich role and she's um, the king's daughter. So she's the highest princess. Um, You know, she's got close contact with the highest priests and, of course, the pharaoh, her king. So she knows that she's powerful. She's probably actually quite arrogant at this point, and she's still quite young. But you can imagine she would be filled with her own self sense of self-importance, can't yeah. you? Well, you would hope so. Yeah, although, I mean, she must have, to an extent, I suppose, known how to be kind of, what's the word, deferential to this sort of patriarchal culture she's living in, because she she succeeds in it. So she can't have rubbed everybody up the wrong way too much, if you see what I mean. Do you think she was just able to lord it over the women rather than the men? 
I don't know. I get the impression she was seen as an equal. Well, we'll go on and you can tell me what you think. So one or more of her brothers died who would have been like the perfect candidates to be the pharaoh and nobody else was selected as heir before her dad dies so no one is next in line and there's this kind of power vacuum and everyone's like mm, Ooh, I don't know we all have we a power do. vacuum yeah and because all nobility and all these sort of elite rich aristocracy types in Egypt are kind of doing okay at this point they don't want any like big changes they don't want to go to war they just want things to stabilize and they want the status quo they do not want to change anything right now it sounds to me like she decides at this point that she wants to be king that she's decided this but the only way that she can do it is to marry one of the other sons of her dad so she marries her brother Okay, which was all very normal. It was quite normal. Um, Now, this brother that she marries has this son who um, is two when her brother, who has become pharaoh, dies. So her dad's died. She's married this brother who then gets to become king. But then the brother dies as well. I bet she's like, phew. I don't actually have to sleep with my brother too much now. Yeah, I actually think she was, although she did have a daughter, interestingly enough, but you don't really hear much about the daughter. But by some other wife, he'd had this boy who then takes the throne. And as I was saying, because the nobility are saying, right, actually everything's a bit kind of stable and we're quite happy. Let's accept the two-year-old stepson, who is also her nephew. (laughs) as the king (laughs) yeah so they accept him he's two years old he's the king now but she goes (laughs) yeah obviously i'm not only the previous king's highest and best daughter the current or just passed away king's wife and the aunt and stepmother of this child um i'm also the most qualified person because i've been around these political regimes i'm the high priestess i'm the god's wife i know what i'm doing i'm gonna be in charge and everyone goes you know what that's all right with us because everything's kind of fine (laughs) so she becomes pharaoh although technically speaking the two-year-old is really the pharaoh but the way she behaves is to position herself she basically tells the story and pretends that she is pharaoh to all intents and purposes she acts like pharaoh and she tells everyone she is which is quite cool she might be regent like pharaoh regent but she's dropped the regent and she's just being pharaoh yeah from the way she behaves definitely nice so she interestingly at this point in order to make herself accepted as this pharaoh figure and to convince everyone that she has this this divine right even though she's not a man i'm not a man and i know i need to be a man to be king but to be fair i am the daughter i am the wife and i am the stepmother of all these important men so Uh i'm now gonna act like a man and not only that I am going to tell everyone that I am God's daughter. My mother was impregnated by an actual God. For real. Oh, so, so she's she's kind of come up with this. 
the story. Yeah. And as, as National Geographic put it, she invented a new marketing tool, this idea of political divine revelation. So she's the first one in history that we know of who says, I am put in place by God himself. He came down, he had sex with my mom, he made me the miracle baby that I am, and he proclared, uh, proclaimed, declared to everyone, Hatshepsut, you, my wonderful daughter, are divined by me, God, to rule everyone. So she spreads this fake news story that she's the daughter of God and <laughs> everyone goes for it. And people love it. They, they yeah. really want to believe this. Wow. Yeah, they do. And seemingly loads of rulers after her in the world in general follow this exact same sort of marketing technique, if you like, Alexander the Great all the way through to Hitler. Okay, so now she's telling everybody that her reign is the will of the gods and everything that she says is divine because God told her that it was. And in order to make this fake news story true, she publicizes it and her marketing tool is basically structures. So she builds temples and obelisks and statues and she has them all carved with all these inscriptions and hieroglyphics declaring that she is a pharaoh. All the official representations of her have her like um, outfitted like a man, um, even though in the inscription it says that she's a woman. I mean, this is a really big power move, isn't it? This is yes. massively ambitious. It really is. And she can do it because this is a period where Egypt is at the height of its wealth. So she's got tons of money. I mean, you know what? It's like um, high priestess, you can imagine, would have had access to all the money anyway. But then her father, her brother, she's, she's sitting on this massive treasury and she can just pay off all of these priests and all of these sculptors and all of these nobility to go out and spread the word through carvings and inscriptions and whatever, and just standing on the street corners that she's in charge, that she's the daughter of a god and that she is a pharaoh, just like a man. Yeah, she's working really hard on this fake news story. Yeah, yeah, she she massively is. <laughs> but it seems like it kind of actually works. So initially, she kind of, she's a little bit coy about it. So she, she puts up these inscriptions saying, uh, my brother, uh, who was king until, you know, he just died. Um, I'm his wife, and that's why I have this right. And then after that, she kind of sidelines him and she's like oh well my dad my dad he was the important king and he's my dad so that's why I'm poor and then she sidelines him as well and suddenly it's like just I am the daughter of a god and she's just you can just picture it over the years she's getting more and more egotistical probably I think I mean it sounds like she's one of the Kardashians doesn't it that she's maneuvered <laughs> herself to be if she was around mm. now she would have taken over social media and yeah, she'd yes. be like she'd be like one of the the Kardashians. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but she's taking by doing all this, she's increasingly taking this power away from this poor two-year-old who is actually the pharaoh. <laughs> and she's making herself this impossibly powerful person. Uh, so I'm guessing she is not going to want to give this power back when he comes of age. No, no, she doesn't. Although it weirdly is kind of quiet and down. So she somehow 
manages to stay in charge for 22 years. So that means that the, the kid must be 24 by the time she actually dies. That's the only, she doesn't get pushed out. She dies. She dies, right. Yeah. She doesn't but, give it up. Yeah, she, she just dies. Where's this, you know, can you imagine like an 18 year old lad who's the rightful king, just not caring and just be like, yeah, sure. My aunt can, she, she can be the queen. It's fine. He obviously just can't be asked with the power. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems like there were a few theories about this because so she made this guy as he was growing up, she made him like the top dog general of the armies um, and she sent him off to do a few things. And seemingly this was a position of power and he was probably fairly happy with this. And I don't know if it's because maybe he was pressured by all of these elites, these uh, aristocrats that were absolutely rolling in it because she is bankrolling everyone to just like she's saying oh you over there just go and build yourself a massive temple it's fine and they're like all right then (laughs) (laughs) because there's all this money rolling in so she does things like um she sends trade expeditions off uh down the river to the south like quite far away to this one of them is to this mythical exotic location that is seemingly where the gods are from by the sound of it called punt and it's where they have all these magical uh, things like uh frankincense and myrrh which of course as we know back then were super expensive and uh, uh-huh. you know uh, so she has this she has two she sends 200 men to sail down and find this mythical land of punt where the gods come from and this is quite a big deal and when they come back they bring myrrh trees they've carefully transplanted that they put them they wrap the roots in some linen or something and bring them back to thebes apparently this is the first ever recorded example of um moving trees from one land to another and this is a massive deal so they come back with all this frankincense and myrrh and all this treasures and everyone is like wow you know that actually that's impressive what she wow she's managed to organize this and she's like oh well but it was um it was always going to be successful because my father the god God. ordained it yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) so she's starting to say even more things so uh, i've got an ancestor who was a goddess moot the primal mother goddess right okay and of course she can she can align herself to all these egyptian goddesses in a way that no male pharaoh could really get away with doing in the same way. Like there's this lioness image that she seems to adopt a few times of the war goddess Sekhmet. So whatever claim to power and importance she can possibly find, she she plays every card in the deck. And, and I guess at, at this point, people are going to think, actually, we're too nervous to take her off the throne. Um, if yes. that's even what it's called, the throne. Because, you know, what kind of shitstorm is going to come our way if we take the, 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 you know, God's own daughter off the throne? I think it's exactly that. I think she was successful in convincing everyone that she herself was essentially a deity. Or certainly when she dies, she's going to become this great goddess afterwards because that's what happened anyway. And But she's so highly connected. They must have been actually quite scared. Like, oh, you yeah. know, what's going to happen? And we don't want to incur her wrath. But of course, she was also, she was also making Egypt 
richer and more powerful and more prosperous. So everyone's kind of okay with this, seemingly including the young nephew, nephew. slash stepson. <laughs> so it's quite interesting her approach to her gender. I it's I quite enjoyed reading about her the way that she depicted herself in the you know the various inscriptions on the temples she had built and stuff. She very typical pharaoh stuff so just for info there was no female version of a pharaoh so there wasn't really such a thing as a queen per se it was like the person in charge is just they're the king they're the pharaoh and the sort of all the trappings of what that looked like was the same regardless of the gender and it included things like um that highly if you picture egyptian hieroglyphics it's like a highly stylized false beard that it's like a long, thin beard that kind of sticks yeah. out quite far. You know the one? Yeah, decorative as well. Yeah, exactly. And so she's depicted with this beard and sometimes with a mane, like a lion. Uh-huh. And she sometimes in the latest statue, she's even got these like buff biceps and like pecs and like a wide chest and stuff. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but the text, the text next to it does say it's a woman though. And I was like, well, why? Why do you think she did that? Like, what's the point in displaying yourself as a man in the pictures, but then saying it's a woman? I guess she's trying to get over an image of strength. And if that's what people associate with strength as in masculinity, she almost had to put a masculine persona onto herself, didn't she? Yeah, I, I guess so. That would make sense, but it just seems a little bit extreme to me. And like unnecessary. Like she, she doesn't need it because she's already so accepted and powerful. Yeah. So at this point, so she, as we know, she's controlling all the media output. So she's got all the priests and everybody shouting out about her. And she's building all of these statues and obelisks and impressively this massive temple. Because, you know, all the Egyptian pharaohs wanted a big temple, like mahusive structure to, so that when they die, they're going to be the most important person, <laughs> basically. Sure. Um, and she does, she builds this. She goes out and she picks the most visible, most sacred, most beautiful place in the whole of Egypt. And it's kind of controversial that she chooses to build this massive temple there. And it is gorgeous. It's it's still there. I believe you can go and see it. It's like, if you picture it, it's at the foot of a, a big cliff face. And it's okay. kind of built into the bottom of the temple and if you picture this huge colonnade so like about i don't know 20 or 30 massive columns all in a row along the base and then another story above it with a a slightly fewer number a slightly lower number of uh, columns and then again a third one on top of it with fewer columns again it's amazing it's this huge structure at the bottom of this um cliff base and it's all covered in inscriptions all about her life and how her mum was impregnated by the god. And apparently it's quite remarkable, some of these inscriptions. Um, it It's a rare example from this period of history of a woman being depicted as physically pregnant. Like, you didn't see that. But she was so obsessed with telling everyone how her mum was pregnant with God's child, her, that she included that. <laughs> That was a key part to her story, wasn't it? Yeah, her definitely. Inception as queen. Yeah. yeah, just to make sure that everyone understood that she really did have these links to deity. Yeah. Just in case anyone forgets, I, I am the child yeah. of God. 
Yeah, yeah, she's obsessed with it at this point, I think. So she's the first one to build in this really sacred place. And seemingly what she built there was so impressive and gorgeous that everybody, every other pharaoh that came after her wanted to measure up to this great temple that she built and they all built there as well. And that's why that place is now known as the Valley of the Kings. Wow, still. She was the first one to build there. And it's the Valley of the Kings because a woman built there first. Eh, It's a good fact, I thought. It's the Valley of the Kings rather than the Valley of the Queens. (laughs) Yes, interestingly enough. So she dies somewhere in her late 40s or, well, possibly in her 50s, not 100% sure. And she's believed to have been overweight, have had diabetes and died no. of... Well, yeah, I mean, you know, she was rich. She's she's going to be obese. I mean, it's kind of tragic <laughs> to think about it, but yeah. Um, and she died of bone cancer, it seems. Um, now, this is quite interesting. The bone cancer, they reckon, stemmed from using this carcinogenic sort of moisturizer, almost like a skin lotion that they found with her. Um, and she, they reckon she probably poisoned herself with this lotion while trying to soothe something like eczema or psoriasis or something like that and that's why she died Mm. so after she died obviously her nephew slash stepson assumes his throne he does yeah so he's thutmose the third and he at this point is he's egypt's most successful general he's having a lovely time he's an acclaimed athlete an author a historian a botanist and an architect apparently so he actually from what I can gather, they reckon nowadays that he wasn't that pissed off with her, actually. He was he was quite happy doing what he was doing, and he achieved a lot even before he claimed the throne in his mid-20s. So he was one of these really successful young men that, yeah, even before he got to 24, had already done a lot. Yeah, exactly. And he must have known, you know, she's going to die pretty soon anyway, so it's fine. She's really fat and she's got diabetes. <laughs> yeah. It's not looking good for this woman. I'll yeah. just sit quietly in the background and just <laughs> bide my time. But the tragic thing is that during his lifetime, so of course he's the one comes right after her, towards the end of his lifetime, he, when he's getting a bit older, his son, who I think is called Amen... Uh, Amenhotep II. So when Thutmose III is like old and is kind of wanting to retire, he's a bit of a Prince Philip type position at this point. Okay. The next in line comes in and he becomes co-regent. So they kind of rule alongside each other, which seems a bit weird, but okay. And for some reason, it seems that this person, rather than Thutmose III himself wanted to erase Hatshepsut. Hatshep- you see, I told you I was struggling. Queen H. Queen H, <laughs> Queen Hap. Queen Hap. She gets erased from history at this point, or almost erased, because of course we know about her now. So what happens is this kid comes in and starts to go, well, hold on a minute. My lineage isn't actually that brilliant. And I'm a bit scared that her lineage is better and she did more and I don't know I feel like I need to put out like I'm a bit more powerful than I am compared now to he her. starts getting jealous well but I think it's the grandson kind of not well so there's the stepson and he's kind of okay but then the one underneath him is like uh, mm, okay 
I'm not happy about that woman. I think that we need to get rid of her. It's making us look bad. So what he does is they go round and they erase, they literally chisel out her picture from a bunch of all these different hieroglyphs and um, carvings and all this stuff. And To pretend like she never existed. Yeah. And they or just re- erase history. Yeah, exactly. They reattribute a lot of the work that she did to either um, his father or her father and just kind of pretend she wasn't there. So one of the things she'd had done was um, she'd commissioned these two massive obelisks. And I mean massive. They were 10 stories high, these obelisks. So no mean feat. And this guy had one of them destroyed completely. And the other one, I don't know why they didn't destroy it completely but they instead of doing that they built a wall all around it so like a four-sided wall to hide it so that nobody could see it and they couldn't erase everything because she she worked pretty hard I mean literally hundreds of statues and inscriptions and uh, buildings she'd had done during her lifetime but right the most visible ones across Egypt they had them all erased and they covered up some of them And ironically, the fact that he did this means that that massive 10-story obelisk is actually one of the best preserved examples of Egyptology. Well, I don't know if that's the right word, you know, um, examples of certainly an obelisk, but inscriptions and information from that period that we have, because of course the wall that he built around it protected it from erosion and other stuff. So so when they removed the wall, that's when they discovered all of this uh, factual history, the fake news history that she obviously created. Yes, exactly. So that's how we know about her now. Um, and of course, he wasn't... Expe- I mean, I, I sometimes wonder why he didn't just destroy it. But I, I wonder if it's because of what we were saying earlier about how they were probably a little bit afraid that, well, she probably is kind of a deity. And we're going to incur this wrath of the gods if we completely erase her. So we'll just yeah. get rid of the main bits. Because they're kind of copying her, really, in terms of this fake news. She started it. So, like, why shouldn't they continue it, really? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there was a couple. So one archaeologist, Joyce Tildesley, um, she thinks that it was Thutmose, as in the nephew slash stepson, that did all this erasure. And she said it was because, quote, an unconventional female king whose reign might possibly be interpreted by future generations as a grave offence against Ma'at, the god, and whose unorthodox co-regency could cast serious doubt upon the legitimacy of his own right to rule. Hatshepsut's crime need not be anything more than the fact that she was a woman. And, you know, that reminds me of at least what we've had a couple of times in this in recording this podcast. So Hilda Matheson, especially, I seem to remember there was someone else was quoted as saying, I think her biographer saying something along the lines of her chief crime was that she was a woman in a man's world. And that all of the things she'd done would have been fine if it had been a man. Yeah, absolutely. So, in 1902, uh, Howard Carter, the famous Howard Carter Egyptologist, discovers her tomb. Um, and this, and in 1920, uh, just two years before Tutankhamun, um, he just, in fact, no, it wasn't, it can't have been 1902. I've written 1902 and then 1920. 
one or the other um before Tutankhamun was discovered which of course is the really famous one um but before that he discovers her tomb but both her tomb and her father's tombs are empty oh and yeah and her mummy is then later found or they now believe it to be her mummy found in a little hidden away side tomb buried side by side with her wet nurse her wet nurse is inscribed as being the wet nurse of queen age and um her grave her tomb is unmarked completely so there's no indication that she might be royal or anything like that but they've worked it out that this is in fact her and they reckon that either her stepson slash nephew thutmose the third or his uh co-region moved her body away along with her father's as part of this sort of redressing the power balance thing and interestingly dame jenny murray in her book makes an interesting comparison to when james the first came into power after elizabeth the first and had her body moved into a side room so that she's alongside mary queen of scots so it kind of redresses this balance of how important they were compared to each other so it's like this is yeah and i thought it was quite a good comparison actually it's it's like yeah you're not as important as you thought you were in your lifestyle lifetime we're going to move you over there and in fact in this case unmarked tomb but also pretty rough buried with her wet nurse yeah i thought that was a bit odd as well her wet nurse for her children or her wet nurse who fed her no idea but it's very strange isn't it how random. I mean, it could be for her. I mean, I wonder if the wet nurse had been buried like uh, 50 years before or something and she was in this little side room that was always for the wet nurse. But then like 100 years later, they move her in there in as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I have no idea, but it's interesting that they did that. So I what I found quite interesting is because of this weird erasure of her name, whatever the reason was for it or whoever did it, this almost caused her to completely disappear from Egypt's records, if you like. And then when people like Howard Carter were starting to look into the texts around the temple walls of this massive temple that we now know she built, they were translating them and their translations didn't make any sense at all because they're seeing things like male pharaohs and stuff, but then with inscriptions underneath them using female pronouns she and her and you're like well but that's a pharaoh yeah and they're, they're just like what what is this so it took quite a long time before everybody put all this together and now we know about the reign of Hatshepsut who was a bit of a legend Hatshepsut and it's amazing that what 3,000 years later they can still identify a mummy yes as as being that that person yeah it was to do with something to do with a tooth so she had a missing tooth and they'd found this tooth in a jar somewhere else on another site or something that was labeled as being the tooth of Hatshepsut um and Ah, it matched or something like that it matched the tooth that was missing in the jar with the mummy exactly yeah but that's a big deal to un like uh to take the bandages off a three thousand year old corpse isn't it oh yeah i should imagine so Oh, it doesn't bear thinking about, actually. (laughs) Uh. So her legacy afterwards, so she built so much stuff, like literally hundreds of construction projects during her lifetime with all her inscriptions and stuff on, that apparently every museum that has an Egyptology 
section has has something of hers. So right. she's really famous now. Um, and the New York Met Museum of Art even has a whole room dedicated just to her that's named the uh, Hatshepsut Room. And apparently in 1997, her name became really famous because in around her temple, this massive temple I described to you, in 1997, there were about 30 tourists from Switzerland and Japan all sightseeing there. And they were attacked by a fundamentalist terror group and there was a massacre and they all died. And then that was the first time that her name apparently became really, you know, it rang out in households where people were saying, oh, it was at the, you know, the the temple of... Queen H. Yeah, Queen H. I mean, nobody could pronounce it. So that's probably why we've forgotten about her since then. I don't know. It actually made me really laugh at the end of the uh, National Geographic uh, articles about her to read a comment about how she's often looked and few can pronounce her name nowadays. It's like, yes, me too. I can't. I really can't. I struggle with it so bad. But I really want to, I'm going to try so hard to remember her name forever. Hatshepsut. Because... Hatshepsut. Yes. Hat Shep suit. Yeah, that's the one. What a badass wife, right? Yeah, she absolutely was. If not a little bit batshit crazy as well. I think she I think she was probably a little bit a little bit obsessed and a little bit domineering, don't you? I mean, she was rich, so she could do what she wanted, basically, which is nice. Well, exactly. But it's that whole thing, isn't it, of, oh, I am the uh, daughter of God. Uh, my yeah. mother slept with God. Yeah. I am ordained. And she probably actually started to believe it herself. Yeah. Just so much sleeping with gods in this culture. I mean, this is really to take home. But no, no, it's not. <laughs> That's not what it's about. <laughs> but yeah. The wife she... who slept with God. The wife who slept with God. Maybe I should rename it to that. Yeah. But she was. She was the wife who was... Not only did she sleep with God in her own fake news story was the daughter of God, but she genuinely was one of Egypt's most powerful and successful pharaohs of all time. She increased the prosperity of Egypt during her period, you know, which was quite unusual, certainly for women, it seems. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, she's quite famous now. There are several documentaries about her. Apparently Tina Turner did a song about her. I might have been queen. Really? Yeah, apparently, but I've never heard of the song. And uh, just last year, actually, a female rap artist from the US named a song after her on her album called Eve, which I think is really ace, actually, and I kind of want to go listen to that. Good for her. If if we were really organised, we would have played these as the outros, wouldn't we? Oh, we might have to pay royalties though, but I think we can definitely give her a nod. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll post a link maybe on the on the website about this. Oh, and uh, finally, um, she has, as you might imagine, she's appeared as a fictional character in a bunch of different novels, um, but including a whole murder mystery series by this guy called Paul Doherty. 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 Paul Doherty. Okay, he is an award-winning English writer of historical novels and he's got this whole series in which the main character is a judge in Hatshepsut's court um, and the first one in this series focuses on her coming into power and I might give that a read. That sounds kind of interesting. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I quite fancy that. So, yeah, that's uh, Hatshepsut and, of course, I'll post photos of her tomb and stuff if uh, if they are copyright-free and, if not, links to those uh, or at least to the Wikipedia article so you can look at them. Um, and there you are. What did you think of her? 
Well, thank you, Caroline. I feel like I'm massively schooled on Hatshepsut. Yeah, well done. Well done. You haven't even got that written in front of you and you managed that. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) So to end the episode, should we just remind everyone, um, if you want to get in touch, if you want to tell us some women's trivia Uh, which we would love to hear if you've got suggestions for who you think we ought to cover if you've got any anecdotes maybe from your history where you have any stories about interesting women that you'd like to tell us about Uh if you are related to any of these interesting women of history we love that that. would be amazing yes ancestors love to hear about those yeah um, or if you have if any feedback. If your mother slept with God, please, please do get in touch. <laughs> if your mother slept with God, please get in touch urgently. We desperately want to hear about that. <laughs> and we will definitely read out your email. We uh, are please. up for a power grab. <laughs> we will help you ascend the uh, the greasy pole of Britain. <laughs> Boris please Johnson urgently. won't stand a chance against you. <laughs> urgently email podcast at the wife who contact us on our website or go to our facebook or instagram page uh yeah thank you so much and i think i'm ready to say good night and grab another drink what about you yeah sounds good all right cheers and good night good night caroline bye good everyone night, Lou. bye